Hello, and welcome to the Laverne Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. You can find us at 244 Old Nashville Highway, Laverne, Tennessee, 37086. We hope that any time you are in the area, you will stop by and join us for worship. Our Sunday morning worship is at 9 a.m., with Bible classes following. Our Sunday evening worship is at 6 p.m., and we also have a Bible study on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Looking around for the clicker, brothers, and I haven't seen it anywhere, so if I've missed it, somebody help me out. All right, good to see everybody. Glad that you are here today. What a fantastic Lord's Day it is. A wonderful day to be alive and in the kingdom of God. Uh, all is well, and all manner of things will be well for those of us who love the Lord and continue to serve Him faithfully. Uh, today, we're going to talk about deacons. Deacons. I've heard it said in the past that uh, ministers are paid to be good, but deacons are good for nothing. <laughs> I was going to say, but Trey was just proving me wrong as I was saying that. And as I was thinking of coming into the pulpit today, and I was sort of talking with the Lord in my head, and I was like, is it appropriate for me to use that joke? I got no divine answer, so I figured that it was. And so there it goes. But of course, nothing could be farther from the truth. Uh, the reality is, is that in most cases, the deacons are in fact the backbone of a biblically organized church. And uh, without men in those positions that are uh, faithful to God and that take those roles seriously that God has given them and give of their time, usually in a voluntary way. There are some ministry positions that are deacons work that are salaried positions, but in most cases, deacons are volunteers. They decide they're going to give extra uh, for the sake of helping the local church to, to be what it's supposed to be in the eyes of God. And so uh, that's why I believe 1 Timothy 3 says that deacons who serve well, uh, they, they are worthy of good standing. They have a good reputation and are thought of well by the members of the church and oftentimes members of the community too. And that is a beautiful and worthy thing. Uh, in our scripture reading this morning, we had a reading there from Acts chapter 6 which comes from the institution of the role of deacon in the church uh, by the apostles. And the problem was, a good problem, and, and that is that the church was growing by leaps and bounds in the first century. So many people were obeying the gospel, and the gospel had spread, just as Jesus in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 had said that it would, that, that his, his followers would be his witnesses first in Judea and then all Jerusalem and Samaria and then to the uttermost portions of the earth. And we, of course, are examples of, of that prophecy of Jesus having been fulfilled, that the gospel has traveled all the way from Jerusalem to Laverne is an act of the Holy Spirit of God. And it's been the work of the people of God over the centuries of the existence of the church. But what had happened was that the gospel had spread from Judea into, into Judea and Samaria and even beyond there so that many people in the Greek-speaking ancient world uh, had, had heard the gospel and obeyed it. Now, Koine Greek or Common Greek was kind of like English is today in the ancient world, except it was even more widespread as far as the population of the ancient world was concerned than English even is in our world today. It was sort of a universal trade language, and that came as a result of the conquests of Alexander the Great and of the fact that the Romans highly respected the Greeks and in essence just uh, absorbed their culture and it became their own culture. Thus we call the Greco-Roman world. 
And so Koine Greek was spread all over the ancient world. So as soon as the gospel got out of the close-knit Jewish community into the diaspora or the dispersion of the Jews across the empire, uh, then there was a problem because there was some prejudice. And I don't think it was intentional prejudice on an ethnic basis, but it was simply an organizational problem. Because where there were these two ethnic groups now in the church, the, the primarily Hebrew or, or Aramaic-speaking uh, Jewish Christians and the primarily Greek-speaking Jews of the diaspora and certain of the Gentiles that by this time had obeyed the gospel, uh, they loved each other and I have no doubt regarded each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. But because there was a cultural division, there was also an organizational division, an organizational problem. And so the benevolence of the church, the funds that were being dispersed to the members of the body that were in need were going primarily to the Aramaic or Hebrew uh, Christians. And those that spoke Greek were being neglected. And some of them were then doing without, especially the widows and orphans among them. And so the first seven deacons were chosen in Acts chapter 6 to alleviate this problem. They were called to be servant leaders who were going to take care of a whole population, a whole group, a whole subgroup of Christians and see to it that, that the blessings of Jesus that were poured out upon the church and that were thus to be distributed by the church would be distributed in a way that was fair and that was equal. And this was absolutely a huge and mon monumental task. And by the leadership of the apostles... Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I want you to listen to these words and please let them sink in. Deacons, those men whose office would eventually be, be known as deacons, were in the eyes of God a sufficient solution to that problem. And so we ought to look at the office of the deacon in the church today with the same amount of respect that God had in instituting it by the Holy Spirit through the apostles. Now, the office of the deacon is one of two essential offices in an organized local church. Now, I said what I said there very specifically for a reason. They're not the only two offices in the church. They are the two offices that are essential in an organized, a biblically organized local church. Now, let me explain to you what I mean by that. A local church can be biblically unorganized meaning that it is a local group of Christians meeting in a particular place and they're worshiping God as led by the Bible to do, but they don't yet have members who have met the qualification or have become willing to, uh, to be ordained or installed as elders and deacons. And so they, they hopefully are moving that direction. And if whoever's doing the preaching and teaching is, is preaching and teaching appropriately, then members are, are being matured in that direction and they want to become a biblically organized local church, as the Word teaches them to become, but they're not there yet. That's what we would call a biblically unorganized church, right? And it needs to be being led and matured in the direction of biblical organization. There is also unbiblically organized churches. There are churches who are, in fact, organized, organized very well and sometimes very efficiently, that have organized themselves in ways that actually violate the, the biblical directions for the organization of the local church. And wherever that is the case, again, if there's someone there who is faithfully and prayerfully continuing to examine and teach God's Word, we would hope that that would be corrected at some point in time. 
But then there are churches that are, in fact, biblically organized. And this means that members have been matured so that they have been installed in these positions as elders or shepherds or bishops or overseers or presbyters or pastors or any of the words that the Bible uses to describe that office. That's not our subject today, so we'll just say that. And then underneath their oversight is this group of men who have met these qualifications and have been installed as deacons. That is a biblically organized church as far as the organization is concerned. Now, there are many biblically organized churches that are not using that organization. Well, that's a different subject again and would have to be something to do with a different sermon. But you see there in Philippians 1 verse 1, the Apostle Paul, who is an apostle, that's an office in, in the church, but not one limited to the local church. The office of the apostle was given the authority over all of the churches, and we still respect the authority of the apostolic office today. Even though all the apostles have gone on to be with the Lord, the apostolic authority still functions through the meeting of the medium of the New Testament. And so the New Testament has authority over everyone on God's green earth. And certainly everyone in the church is supposed to have received and accepted that authority so that even our elders are supposed to be functioning underneath the authority of the New Testament. And that is under apostolic authority, which is under Jesus Christ's authority. And I know our elders, I appreciate that, amen. I know that they agree with that and believe that, all right? And so, but he is speaking to a local church, and he says, to all the saints, every Christian is a saint, not just a, a super hyper uh, successful category of Christians, as some folks in Christendom have been led to believe. But, but saint simply means holy one, one who has been sanctified or made holy by the grace of God. And so every baptized believer, the moment they enter into that covenant relationship with Christ, becomes a saint. Everyone does. And so every member of the church is holy. And every member of the church is equally holy. And this is true in the universal church all over the world. And it's certainly true in the local church as well. Every member is equal in the eyes of God. And so when someone meets the qualifications of biblical office and are moved into that or installed into that position of biblical office by the present leadership of the church, they don't become super Christians. They don't become hyper saints, you know. Uh, they don't become more faithful or more holy or anything else than any other member of the congregation. They simply have been recognized by the church as people within the church who have met the qualifications that the Lord has given the church to be able to responsibly help the church to do better in some aspect or another of its ministry. That's what a deacon is, and that's what a deacon is called to do. And so Paul writes to the saints with, because the overseers are saints and the deacons are saints as well. And so there is no superior class of Christian, no matter what office you hold. The office of the evangelist, which is mine, is not superior to any office in the church. And in the local church is subject to the authority of the eldership the same as deacons are. All right, so let's talk about the church just for a few minutes. The word church has come to us through uh, about three different languages. It's hopped through three different languages over the years to finally land in English as the word church. But it is our English word for the Greek word ekklesia, which many folks will say means the called out. And it does mean the called out, but oftentimes too much is made of that term. What it really practically meant in Koine Greek, if somebody used that word on the street, was the assembly. All right, just means the assembly. And so the church of Christ is the assembly of Christ. And what that means is it is Christ's people. 
that come together and assemble together to worship him and to join hands together and encourage each other in carrying out his mission in the world. That's simply what church means, and that's what church is. And so when we say the church is the people, that is absolutely true. The church is the people that assemble together as God's family and are called to serve as his workforce, his ambassadors, his ministers, and his army. And any army needs to be organized. Any workforce needs to be organized. Frankly, any family needs some degree of organization if it's going to succeed in life. Without organization, there is disorder, there is chaos, and that does not breed success. There are two ways that the church has God's approval, biblically speaking, to organize itself. First is a needs-based organization. Needs-based organization. It's perfectly biblical. And this would fall under the Romans 14 categories of things that God has neither legislated for nor against. In other words, he's never, neither required nor forbidden. And anything in Scripture that God has neither required nor forbidden is a Romans 14 issue that is left to our conscience. And so, therefore, if there's a need that is something that is maybe not specifically a deacon's ministry or, well, the elders are supposed to oversee everything, and so if we start pigeonholing the elders into certain areas of work, we start to kind of move away a little bit from the pattern of what an eldership is supposed to be. And so there are times when there needs to be some work done for the church. Like, for instance, the church will need administrative personnel in the office. And, and so do we have a passage that gives us regulation about administrative personnel in a church office? No, there's no such thing, nor do we need a passage. It's neither required by God nor is it forbidden. It's a needs-based situation. The church has every right from God to hire someone to do administrative work in the office, to set aside someone like me as, as the you know, preaching minister. It doesn't mean the only person that can preach or ever should preach, but it means the church has, has given me a salary and made me a part of the staff so that I can be responsible every single week to do the work of an evangelist here in this congregation. Now, it is not biblically required that a church have a full-time preacher. I'm glad that we do. It works well for me. Hopefully, it works well for you. You see, I hope so, but it's not required, right? It's not required. But having deacons and having uh, elders, if we're going to be a biblically organized church, is required. And so, a needs-based organization. I'm a part of the needs-based organization. Our office staff is part of the needs-based organization. Our Tuesday-Thursday school is part of needs-based organization. And all of this is perfectly biblical. And the key to doing needs-based organization right is to make sure that in doing it, we're not violating anything that the Bible teaches. As long as we're organizing in the spirit of the Church of Christ, then all is well. But there is also prescribed organization. And you can already put the clues together there to understand, I think, what we're talking about. Prescribed organization has got to be done as prescribed. In other words, God has, in fact, legislated rules about the prescribed organization of the church. And therefore, these things are not subject to our whims or to our opinions or to our different desires, not even subject to what we perceive about our needs, although we ought to trust the Lord enough to know that if he has prescribed certain elements of organization, it's because he perceives a need that these level of organizations are going to meet. All right, so here's the prescribed organization of a local congregation. The uh, uh, plum-colored, or whatever that looks like on the screen, brownish-purple uh, 
uh, space there, that's the church, okay? So if you can follow the illustration there, that's the whole church of our Lord. And we'll just we'll say this is a local church in this case. What we're saying uh, we could apply to the universal church here, but we're going to talk about a local congregation like Laverne Church of Christ, all right? Every single member of Laverne Church of Christ is inside this bubble. We're all church members. Philippians 1 verse 1, we're all saints, every single one of us, regardless of what other job we might have here. And therefore, we are all responsible for the worship of the church, to be present, to worship absolutely as much as is possible, as long as we're not providentially hindered. Uh, we have a responsibility. Each participant in an, an, uh, an assembled congregation like this is actively contributing to the worship this church is offering to God. Certainly the work. The, we're all responsible for the work of the church. Every single member is responsible to be involved in the work of the church in some way or another. We're all called to serve, first Christ and then each other, and then the rest of the world as opportunity is given to us. And in pursuit of that service, we teach, we learn, we grow. This is the responsibility of every single member of the Lord's church, right? Now, when we begin to talk about those we might call church officers, notice that they are within that bubble of the church. They're not separate from the church. They're a part of the church. They minister to the church as the church, with the church for the church, through the church, by the church, are the church, all right? And so deacons serve, as all members have a calling from God to serve, deacons serve by managing, recruiting, dispersing, organizing, and so on for the sake of the rest of the brethren, of their being able to minister in the way that they should, all right? And so I want you to notice that, that little phrase there, serve by. There are too many people in our generation today that, uh, that think that the church member's job is to spectate. That basically to be a church member is to come to church and to watch the, the church show get put on. And, and that's something that is very prevalent in our times and it's entirely unbiblical. It's absolutely, that doesn't come from the New Testament anywhere, nor does it have any precedent in the ancient uh, Jewish system in either way. God's system has always been about every single person being a participant, being involved, being, being a functional member of the community in some way. And so members are not spectators, and the church officers and leaders and those in organizational positions are the ones doing the work of the church. If that's our mentality, then, then we've missed it on both ends, right? So if the leaders of the church think it's their job to do the work of the church, they have misunderstood their role. If I ever get the idea that I'm the most important member of the church because I'm the primarily preach, primary preacher and that the church's primary job is being done by me, I have absolutely missed what the Bible says about what I'm supposed to be doing. Ephesians 2, 11 and 12 says, And God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. That includes my role and our elders' role as the means of equipping the saints, that is, the whole of the church. For the task of ministry. Brothers and sisters, deacons serve under the oversight of the eldership as extensions of the eldership's work of organizing the various missions, the various works, the various ministries, dispersing the funds, and all of those things that are required for the organized work of the church to function. And therefore, what Ephesians 2, 11, or 4, 11, and 12 says about elders, by extension, also applies to deacons. Deacons' purposes are to help the members to work, not to do the work for them. 
And so that's where deacons fit within the body. And so we could proceed forward, even though it's not our subject, just briefly uh, to mention the fact that the eldership or the shepherds, they also, you can see, are within the bubble of the church. They're not outside the church. They are leaders of the church from within the church as members of the church. And as our shepherds, they guide and they protect and they oversee. Now, it's at this point that I want to say, even when I talk about uh, that went backwards, sorry, wrong, wrong direction. Even when I talk about evangelists, ministers, directors, staff, you notice they transcend these categories. A minister can, is a saint. A minister could be a deacon as well. I know a preacher who's also a deacon, right? Ministers definitely could also be elders. An evangelist can be an elder also. And so these needs-based staff-type positions fit within the framework of the three-part organization of the local church in every case saints deacons elders those are the three essential pieces of a biblically organized local church it's here that i want to say in the biblical model of the church's organization there is no authority figure outside that big brownish purple bubble anywhere except for jesus christ himself from heaven there's no central headquarters there's no bishop that rides in from some other area of the world. No council of, of uh, cardinals somewhere off in the distance disconnected from our local work that has the right to swoop in and tell us how things are going to be done in the local church. That's what we would call a denominational structure of the church. And it is, in fact, part of the way that a church could be organized unbiblically. All of the leadership of a local congregation is in heaven and within that local congregation. And if we're going to do things biblically right, that's the way that we've got to maintain them because that is what the Bible teaches. Now, again, I want to say, deacons, shepherds, ministers, etc., they do kingdom work because, are you listening? They do kingdom work because they are Christians, not because they're officers in the church, because they're Christians. And it's because those that have been instituted into these positions, ordained into these positions, have demonstrated the fact that they are Christians. And as Christians, as saints, they will do and were doing the work of the church, that they have been recognized and put into these positions that we hope will be helpful toward and inspirational for the rest of the members in the church being able to do their work. So before we run out of time this morning, let's talk about prescribed organization in the church. And let's talk about how it's prescribed in two ways or on two levels. First of all, the nature of the work itself is prescribed. When we talk about deacons, they, the deacon comes from the Greek word diakonos, which means servant, which literally means one who waits on or attends to. One who waits on or attends to. And so, uh, just like a great household, if any of you like the BBC shows from the Victorian era and whatever, these great households that have all of this highly uh, uh, sophisticated and trained and elegant staff that, that take care of all the running of the household, you know, butlers and, and various kinds of, of different sorts of, of servants, and they're so essential to making this castle of a household function. Deacons are sort of they're sort of that role in the church, the butlers of the church in a way. 
You know, they're, they're the staff of a church, volunteer staff in this case, in most, ca most cases, that enable the household to even run. And, and it's an honor then to be in that position. Now, somebody in our culture, you're saying deacons are, are they're like the equivalents of Victorian ser servants? Well, that's an insult. Nobody wants to be a servant. Everybody wants to be the boss, right? Everybody wants to be the cool guy. Well, sure, that's what everybody in the world thinks in 2023. And if you think that way, I'm sorry that you've been influenced by the world, but that is not Jesus' point of view. It's just not. Remember what Jesus said. The Gentiles lorded over one another, and the great ones exercise authority over each other. He said, it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you, let him become your servant. That's what Jesus said. So Jesus' ethic turns the world upside down, and the people that we honor the most are those that serve the most. That's Christianity, and that's following the example of Christ. And so these are those who wait on or attend to the needs of the church under the oversight of the eldership. And as such, they are co-workers with the eldership and with all the saints. And listen, they are in fact leaders. Deacons are servant leaders. I know this has sometimes been debated in the church, and I've heard folks debate it, uh, about whether deacons should be considered a, leader, a leadership office in the church or not. They definitely should. In Acts chapter 6, verse 3, notice... Uh, when the first deacons were being appointed, the apostles said, Therefore select from among you, brothers, seven men of good report, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we, we may appoint over this business. Amen. Anybody that you appoint over some business has become a leader over that business. Deacons are leaders. Now, the, the word deacon itself puts distance between what Greeks would have heard. They just heard the word servant, servant with a capital S, official servants in the church. Today we hear deacons, and because it's not really a translated word, it's just a Greek word that most of us don't understand. We're distanced a little bit from the balancing act that Scripture will put this under. So we've got these groups of leaders, and the New Testament will never call them anything other than servant. And so when you hear the word deacon, make sure that you remember what that word means so that it doesn't become some kind of hierarchical position of honor because if you think of things in that way, you've missed the point. And that's one of the ways that the devil can bring sin into the organizational structure of a church. And if you don't think the devil is trying to bring sin in among the leaders of this church and you hadn't met Satan yet or you certainly hadn't got to know him, because I don't think there's anything with regard to Laverne Church of Christ that Satan wants more than to get any of our leaders to fall into sin. That would do more harm than anything else he can do. And believe me, that's what he wants to do. And so we need to make sure, those of us that have been blessed by God's grace to be in positions of leadership and influence in the church, dear, we've got to be praying for God to, to help us, to protect us, to give us a, a will to continue to, to move forward in righteousness and to be pure in every way. And so they are, in fact, leaders. Let's look together then at the qualifications in uh, uh, Philippians, I mean, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. Uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth on the part of the children. Hang in with me for just two or three more minutes. We're almost done today. But let's look at 1 Timothy 3, uh, verses 8 through 13. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons being found blameless. Likewise, their wives 
must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing, great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. There's Timothy's account of the qualifications. And uh, I have sort of collected those and I'll put them on the screen. Uh, if any of you want to take a picture of that, you can if you can see it. We'll just go through them very quickly and just maybe a little bit of an explanation about each one of them. Uh, and so we have reverent, uh, which means dignified and respectable. Someone who takes serious things seriously. Doesn't mean he doesn't have a sense of humor, but, but if you've got a sense of humor, that's great. But you do need to know that there needs to be boundaries around it. There's some things that are serious and are just not really funny or to be joked about. And, and reverent, of course, means respectable. Offering respect where it's due, expecting to be respected as it's appropriate, and certainly giving God the respect he deserves. Not double-tongued. It means you don't speak out of both sides of your mouth, as the old saying goes. Right? It means that what you say over on this side of the building is the same thing you say over this side of the building. And so you're trustworthy. You're consistent. You tell the truth. You tell the truth. All right? A truthful man. That's what that means more than anything else. Not given to much wine. It means not overindulging. Certainly, including wine specifically, because that's mentioned. But we certainly would want deacons to be men of self-control. Not greedy, meaning there's integrity in business, as well as contentment. Holding the mystery of the faith. That means convinced and converted. Converted men. Those are those that meet the qualifications of deacons. With a pure conscience. In other words, practice what he preaches. He lives it. A faithfully married man, the text requires that he be the husband of one wife because he's going to need help. And the wife of a deacon or of an elder or of a minister, the spouse of anyone doing the work of the church is involved in that work no matter what. And if they're not, they should be uh, because there's no way to separate them from it. A wife, the wife of the deacon must be reverent not a slanderer, must be temperate. That is a person who doesn't lose their cool, fly out the handle, faithful in all things. In other words, they need good help. And the deacon rules his children and his household well. And having so done, he has proven that he's capable of organizing a group of people toward a specific task successfully. Because leading the home is the foundation of that. And so Paul says in verse 10, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. These qualifications are prescribed by God, and thus they are not optional. Brothers and sisters, I want you to remember, it is better to be biblically unorganized and have no deacons at all than to have them in name only because we have not followed the instructions of the Word of God. And so I want to say to those who will be prospective deacons as this process continues. Our shepherds in their wisdom have discerned a need for five additional deacons right now. Five. We have more than five brothers who meet the qualifications to be deacons here. Which that, that means, and listen men, listen. It means that somebody's name is going to get put forward and isn't going to be chosen. I want you to go back today, this afternoon, and read the end of Acts chapter 1. Read the last half of Acts chapter 1. And I want you to consider, there have always been situations in which the church needed leaders and someone is called and someone is not. It is, in my opinion, the best thing that can be said about a man 
is what it does to his faith not to be chosen rather than what it does to his faith to be chosen. Please, brothers, we love you all. We love you all. Don't want anyone hurt in the process at all. We need five. Lord willing, we'll get them. Please be praying for the process, that it'll be done well, that ultimately the men who will be put in these five positions will be the, one, the ones that God in his wisdom has chosen for this task. And if we pray as a congregation together and ask him to bless this process, he'll bless it. And the right men will be put into those positions because he's done that for us, brothers and sisters, multiple times already. Present deacons, we're looking to you to be respectable men of God. Please continue to take very seriously your appointment as if appointed by Jesus himself. Prospective deacons, please be examining yourselves. If you find that you don't feel you meet the qualifications, don't allow your name to be moved forward. Everyone, brothers and sisters, let's pray for this process, that God will bless it to be done well. And this morning, I know we haven't spoken a lot about the gospel itself, but, but an organized church is the fruit of the gospel. It's the result of the gospel having been preached and people having heard and come to obedient faith in Christ. And they're growing and the needs of those who have come to Christ have increased. And, and that's the reason why there's a need for organization. And, and so when a church moves further in the direction of biblical organization, it is a sign that God's blessing is upon them because of what they're doing. And listen, brothers and sisters, the gospel is this. Jesus Christ died for your sins. He died on the cross. The Son of God died on the cross to save you from your sins. He was buried and he was raised for your justification. And so that through faith in him, you might have the hope to live with God forever in glory in the age to come. If you haven't confessed your belief in Christ, here's your opportunity. If you haven't given him your life in repentance, here's your opportunity. If you know that you're a sinner in need of salvation, you haven't obeyed the commandment to have your sins washed away in baptism, here's your opportunity. And on the part of all baptized believers, if you need our prayers, front pews are open. Come as we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions, please email them to us at office at lavernecoc.org. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day.